Welcome again to Bethany Community Church here in West Seattle. Uh, And and I love that uh, what we do well is community and getting to know one another. And so after the service, you're welcome to go downstairs, share some coffee and some bagels and get to know each other better. Uh, For those of you that are new, my name is Prentice. I'm the pastor here at Bethany. Uh, And uh, when you hear all these announcements, whether it's the fitness group that Sonia is leading or what's happening in the life of our church, uh, if you have any questions uh, during the service, you can, uh, after the service, you can go to our connect table, uh, which you'll see Jeff, you'll see other leaders that would just love to simply just meet you, to say hi to you, uh, and and answer any questions that you might have regarding our church or or any events that we might uh, have going on. And so again, just want to welcome you. Again, uh, the Connect table is for you and we want to we meet you. Uh, but we have been continuing this uh, sermon series uh, called uh, Found, Discovering Our True Identity in Christ. And so what we're doing is we're looking through the entire book of Ephesians uh, and today we are in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Uh, I know last, last week, uh, Ashley did something uh, on the beginning of chapter 4, and I will be closing off chapter 4 between verses uh, 17 and, and 24. Uh, but before I begin, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, this author, this theologian. His name is Francis Schaeffer, uh, and he has this book. Uh, it's a very famous book, actually, uh, and it's called How Should We Then Live? How should we then live? And it's this whole book uh, talking really about how to answer that question. As followers of Jesus, as someone who has committed their life uh, to know and to walk the ways of the kingdom, uh, it's bigger than just this camp, yes, Jesus, will you come into my heart? It's bigger than this, uh, this particular sinner's prayer that we do. It's bigger than just coming to church on Sundays. It's this bigger question of, now that you have decided to follow and live after Jesus, how then shall you live? What does that mean? How, how does that compel you to treat people, to, to love people, to, to interact with people? How then shall you live? And so what I'm saying is Ephesians chapter 4, especially the latter part, uh, is, is responding to exactly that question. And it's a very practical set of advice from the Apostle Paul, the writer of Ephesians, uh, where he sees injustice, where he sees division. And he sees violence, and he sees all these things, and he says, for those of you that follow Jesus, your your response and the way you react matters. And we'll see that it compels us to live in a particular way. And so our reading today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 17 to 24. Uh, And if you are new with us or if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have these pew Bibles, these black Bibles uh, in front of you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to just take this home. Uh, But but we'll be in chapter uh, 4. This is page 951. Again, just in this Bible, it's not all the same. Uh, But the word of the Lord says this, Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. 
They have lost all uh, sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy, and to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned in Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourself. Verse 24, and to clothe yourselves with your new self, created according to the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Let me just pray for our time. God, thank you so much that you have spoken to us. Uh, You've called us to a higher standard, to live in a different way that reflects your love, your compassion, your generosity, your kindness, your forgiveness and healing. May we learn from that and live that out in our communities and our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me start off with a question. Uh, and, and the question is this, uh, how, and you don't have to actually raise your hand, uh, but how many of you uh, looked at yourself in the mirror this morning? And, and if I had to take a guess, uh, it would be all of you, or at least 99% of you. And for those of you that didn't look in the mirror, uh, we know who you are. Uh, so I would say majority of us, when I asked the question, did you look in the mirror today, the answer is probably yes. And so the follow-up question is, do you look yourself in the mirror every day? And again, the answer to that is probably yes. We look at the mirror pretty much every single day of our lives. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. And it's pretty helpful. And many times, uh, you know, we put on our clothes. Uh, we do our hair, or we do whatever we do, we go into the mirror, and then we realize something isn't right. Maybe you forgot a button or a zipper or, or whatever it is. That mirror, when you look in front of that mirror, has informed you that, okay, you're ready to go, or, or there's something on your face, or that button isn't buttoned up, or that shirt or pants doesn't match. I'm not really good at that, but apparently that's a thing, and so you'd go and change. Apparently your tie, if you wear a tie, it's not... It's not, you know, put the way it's supposed to. It's, it's out of whack. It's your hair. It's your man. Whatever it is, many of us, or if not all of us, we go in front of the mirror to, to, to check ourselves out, and then we make proper adjustments as we go out. We do this all the time. And again, it's not a bad thing. It's, it offers us information for us to change something, to fix something, to, to, to correct our course before we go out in public. And in a similar way, when, when Paul is writing to the Ephesians, to the church of Ephesus, he, he's asking about this question of, the, uh, of a mirror. And so there's a context that Paul is writing in. And what you have to realize is that Paul, first of all, is in prison when he's writing these letters. Why is he in prison? Because he was locked up or imprisoned uh, because of his belief in Jesus. Uh, and his proclamation uh, of teaching the ways of Jesus. And, and ultimately proclaiming the ways of Jesus, that he, that Jesus was Lord and nothing and nobody else, not even Caesar, the king, the ruler, not even he was the ruler or the Messiah, uh, it was what Paul was proclaiming, and that put him into prison. And, and so what we'll see from the very beginning is that he says 
now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live <laughs> in the futility of their minds. See, what you have to understand is when Paul is saying, you, who I'm writing to, the church uh, of Ephesus, you should no longer live as the Gentiles do. The ironic part is the very people that he's talking to were the Gentiles. It wasn't the Christians. It wasn't the ancient Jews. It was the actual Gentiles that he was speaking to. And to those Gentiles, what he's saying is, you should no longer live as yourself. At one point in life, you, the Gentiles, were the same as this group over here. You were, you were also Gentiles. And what Paul is saying that from this day forward, from the day you, you proclaim Jesus as your Lord, you must separate yourself from your old life. Yes, I'm talking to you because you are Gentiles. Gentiles just mean those that aren't Jewish. Uh, and in the church of Ephesus, uh, Ephesus there were mainly the Greeks. And what they were saying, what Paul was saying is, I'm talking to you Gentiles, don't be like the Gentiles. And so that's a very ironic way to look at it. And so essentially what he's saying is, Gentiles, those that have proclaimed Jesus, I need you to look, your, look at yourself in the mirror. How are you behaving? How are you living? How are you acting? How are you loving? How are you being unloving? Are you living as your old self? Or are you living as a new creation? And this is a question that we have to ask ourselves every single day as we wake up. When we look into the mirror, not just for our physical selves, uh, we have to look in the mirror and say, today, or maybe it's even at the end of the night, today, have I lived in this way that has compelled me by walking in the ways of Jesus? this new identity, or have I fallen into old patterns, old ways of life? He's, he's putting a mirror up to their faces and saying, the way you've lived, the way you've treated others, the way you've viewed life, it's got to be different. It's got to change. In a nutshell, you can no longer live the way you've always lived. And the question is the same for you. Does this decision to follow the way, a.k.a. Christianity it was called the way here in the latter part of first, the first century, does this decision to follow the way change you? And for many of us, sometimes we have to confess and say the answer is no. It doesn't. Or we can look at it and say, well, it sure doesn't seem so. We, we may have even heard that before from our very loved ones. And so the hard work that we have to do from the moment that we decide to follow Jesus is to look at, uh, at the mirror, a hard look at ourselves and say, how am I living right now? And that's the same question that Paul is asking to the, to the Gentile Christians. Here's a mirror. Look at yourselves. Are you living like you used to? Like these Gentiles? Or are you a new creation? Several years ago, I, I used to live in uh, Los Angeles for, for grad school when I went to seminary. 
Uh, and then I moved to Orange County uh, to take my first call as a youth pastor uh, at Laguna Presbyterian Church, which I loved. It's a great church. It's still there. Uh, and I remember the, the congregation, the, especially the families, would always take me out to baseball games. Uh, in Orange County, baseball was a big deal. Uh, it still is. Uh, and it slowly started converting me into, back then, the Anaheim Angels. And so I'd go to several, several weekends uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the summer and the fall and the spring. I would go to these Anaheim Angels games. Uh, and though I was always a Mariners fan at heart, uh, and I vowed to myself, uh, I'm, I'm an Angels fan because I live in Anaheim or in Orange County, uh, and you know I get to claim this as my home team. But anytime they play the Mariners, I'll always root for the Mariners because I'm a Seattle Mariner. And so year after year of going to Anaheim Angels games, I would pick up some paraphernalia like an Angels hat, uh, some shirts and jerseys and whatever it is, and I would wear that around because now I am an Angels fan. But I remember moving up to Seattle, and I was wearing my Angels baseball hat, and somebody came up to me and said, why are you wearing that hat? And I said, well, I'm an Angels fan. I lived there for several years. And he says, are you from Los Angeles? Are you from Anaheim? And I said, I said no, I'm from Seattle. Uh, oh, do you still live in Anaheim, and are you just visiting? Uh, no, I am now back in Seattle. I'm from Seattle. Uh, and he says, you are no longer an Angels fan. From this point on, you are a Mariners fan. Uh, and I had to explain to him, I've always been a Mariners fan. Uh, but the point is that I was putting on this old cap that represented essentially an old life. I'm no longer an Angels fan, I'm a Mariners fan. And in July, we all get to be Mariners fans and cheer on the Mariners as they play the White Sox. Uh, but oftentimes, Paul is saying for all of us, for myself, for this church, for these people, you're living as if you are an Angels fan, your old self, your old clothing. And he's saying, clothe yourself in this new identity. You are now a follower of the way, and that should change you and compel you to live differently. Have you looked in front of the mirror today? Recently, lately. And so often we have no problem looking at the outer parts of our bodies in front of a mirror. Like I said, when I asked you, who looked in front of the mirror? Probably every one of you. Who looks at the mirror every single day? Probably every single one of you. So often we have no problem looking at the outer parts of our bodies, but rarely, rarely do we look at the most inner parts of our souls. Rarely do we look at the most inner parts of our souls. And that's asking the hard question as we look in front of a mirror. And obviously many times it's a metaphorical mirror. This mirror may not even be a physical mirror or sometimes it may be. But this mirror might be your loved ones, those that love you and know you the best. Oftentimes those are your mirrors. And do we come to a point where we receive the information that we're seeing and hearing from the mirror in order for us to be compelled to live differently? Or are we content and satisfied just going back to our old ways and living with our old cap and our old selves and our old ways 
of life. And see, the hard work of looking at the inner parts of our souls is requires a, a sense of humility. Are you able to listen? Are you able to, to not just hear, but to listen to the people around you? Because the truth of the matter is, oftentimes we can hear words without having to listen at all. We hear all the time, but we listen rarely. Oftentimes, that is the biggest piece that's missing in most relationships, this, I, this level of commu- communication. If communication and listening and hearing from one another becomes our biggest mirror, it's a wonder why that and those are the people that we push aside or not listen to. Maybe it's our ego. Maybe it's our pride. But we have to ask ourselves today, are we willing to do the work, to look at the most inner and the deepest part of our souls and say, how am I living? Does the way I live truly reflect the decision that I made to follow Jesus? We have to look in the mirror. And secondly, what do we do when we look in the mirror? We have to clothe ourselves. Uh, in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 19, it says, They have lost all sensitivity and abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to what? And to clothe yourselves. And to clothe yourselves in the new self created according to the likeness according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What Paul is saying, as you look into the mirror and as you make tough decisions uh, about who you are, am I living like Jesus? Am I looking like Jesus? And if not, am I willing to change? And, and what Paul is saying, yes, you have to be willing to change, to put on new clothes. And, and this is this metaphor of clothing ourselves in order for us to look like Jesus. Just last week, uh, you know, as a hobby, uh, many of you guys know, uh, I coach a couple of CrossFit classes in the evenings. Uh, and I remember in one of the classes just a few days ago, I called somebody uh, by the wrong name. You know, his name was Tyler. I, I called him Cole. I said, hey, uh, hey, Cole. And he was like, I'm not Cole, I'm Tyler. And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm so sorry. I felt so bad because names are important. And, and then I said to myself, you know, they're like wearing the same thing. They, they look like each other. I mean, they, they have the same amount of facial hair. And for me, because I could never grow facial hair, anyone with facial hair look alike. Uh, and I was thinking, well, I, I understand that names are important. I'm sorry that I forgot your name. I got you guys mixed up. But it was hard because you look exactly the same. You were wearing uh, the same color shoes, the same color shorts and t-shirt. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, but... Uh, it was difficult. I mixed you guys up. I'm so sorry. 
And, and I thought about that, and it's like when people see us, are we dressed in clothing, meaning are we acting and loving and behaving and treating people so much so like Jesus that whether we, pro, we proclaim the name of Jesus or not, people can look at us and say, man, there's something different. There's something different. Or maybe people know that you are a follower of Jesus, and they say, ah, there you go. Wow, that's what Jesus looks like. In essence, I want all of us, for those that claim to be followers of Jesus, to be mistaken to be Jesus. To say, man, that's, that's what Jesus looks like. And Paul's so practical here, and he says, put away your greediness. Put away your licentiousness, which is essentially, uh, you know, lust uh, for, for, for people, for, for life, for money, for upward mobility. Put away your old self. That's your old self. That's what the Greeks did. That's what the Gentiles did during that time. And what Paul's saying, don't do that anymore. It's this worship of false gods. Uh, what you have to understand is that the, the context in which that Paul was speaking was uh, Ephesus was the epicenter of life, of commerce. It was, there was a major port. But not only that, but it was an epicenter of pagan gods. And those in Ephesus would worship pagan gods and Roman gods and Greek gods, many of them, especially in Ephesus, there was this goddess of Artemis. It's a Greek god. Uh, her name is Artemis. She was the, uh, sorry, I didn't write this down. She was the, the goddess of uh, fertility, and, and she was known to be the helper of midwives to deliver babies. It was because of this goddess Artemis that life happened, that babies were born, that families were created, and, and so it was no wonder because that was so important during that time, uh, people would look and worship the goddess of Artemis. In fact, there's, they made a temple, the, uh, the Temple of Artemis, which at least used to be one of the, uh, wonders, the seven wonders of the world. And so what Paul is saying is, I know the culture that you Ephesian Gentiles are a part of. You are worshiping false gods and pagan gods, especially uh, the goddess of Artemis. And what I'm saying, this is what Paul is saying, what I'm saying to you is depart from that. And live a very different life by taking off the clothes of this pagan gods and worship and now putting on the clothes of Jesus. And so that when people see you, they see that there's something very different about you. You're no longer worshiping these pagan gods that's compelling you to live in a very greedy, in a licentious, and lustful way. Instead, you're standing out to look very different because you're wearing the clothes of righteousness and holiness. Again, this doesn't mean we go out in the streets and put up hateful signs. This doesn't mean that we go to our workplace and just try to convert everybody by the, com by the classic sense of converting them. Yes, we talk about Jesus. Yes, we speak truth. Uh, but what Paul is saying, do you look, the way you behave and the way, does it ooze Jesus? And I love what St. Francis of Assisi says. It's a very famous quote. For those of you that know, don't know, he says, St. Francis says, uh, preach the gospel at all times. Preach. Preach the gospel at all times, but use words when necessary. 
preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. What does that mean? It means may, may people see that through your actions, that because of this internal decision that we've made to follow Jesus, that there's an external transformation. May people see that and wonder and ask questions. That's, to me, that's evangelism. That's, uh, quote-unquote, helping convert people. Literally, the, by definition, converting people from this, uh, this skeptical illusion of who God and Christians are to be converted into thinking, man, Christians are different. The way of Jesus is, is very different. By the clothes that we put on, are we reflecting that? In order for us to know what kind of clothes we put on, we have to look in front of the mirror. Man, who am I, who am I choosing to be today? Have you asked yourself that? Who, who am I choosing to be today? Am I being the best version of myself in the way that God has created me to live? Or am I living in these old patterns, the ways of the pagans, the ways of the false gods, the ways of this worship of, uh, of idolatry in, in Artemis? Or are we putting on this clothes of righteousness and holiness? I mean, this is, this is a huge conviction for me. I mean, just, just the other day, I feel like uh, sometimes I do well with compassion, some, sometimes, uh, and I do well with patience sometimes. But the area in my life that I'm really bad at that is when I'm driving. I don't know what it is. Oftentimes it's because I'm late or something. I'm getting in my car and I was like, I, I need to get to point A to point B. Uh, and, if, and if someone happens to not be driving the way I think people should be driving, uh, I get a little frustrated. And I remember just a few days ago, somebody had, you know, I think they were in the very left lane, and they were going speed limit. Like, who goes the actual speed limit in the very left lane? And so I'm thinking, why is this guy driving so slow? And, you know, I give him a little reminder with the horn saying, it's okay, friend. You can go a little bit faster. Uh, and maybe that's not the way that this person had interpreted that. And so, you know, he gave me one of these. And I was like, oh, he's saying hi. So I was saying hi back. Hey, hi, hello. And, and, and finally, I, I was telling, or asking myself, what in the world? You know, because it was a little bit more intense than that. And, and actually, I had someone else in the car. And that person became a mirror to me and said, well, why did you do that? Why, why did you act like that? Why, why was that your response? And of course, then I got really defensive, and I said, well, this person did that, and I did that, you know, and so I was trying to justify my behavior. And the most ironic part was, when we were listening to a hill song, a worship song that we sing at church. And while we sing this worship song, I was yelling at this guy for driving, for obeying the law. And I had to take a hard look at myself. Am I behaving, am I living, am I being compelled to love others and to view others the way God views them? Or is this a place that I need work in? And that's, that's what it means to look in, look in front of the mirror. Where, what is it that I do that becomes the best part of myself? What is it that I do that becomes the worst part of myself? And, and next, am I willing to change? Change, literally change clothing 
to put on the clothing, the righteousness of God. Which later in Ephesians chapter 4 talks all about this new life and what that looks like. It's all about forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration and being kind and not dealing with idolatry, not dealing with adultery, not dealing with greed. But we have to begin with looking in ourselves in the mirror. And then we have to decide to, to put on the clothing, to change the clothing. And when we do that, like, just like when we look in the mirror at home, we can walk out with confidence. We look in front of the mirror, we change our clothes, and we walk with confidence. We walk with confidence. Uh, when Paul was writing Ephesians, so the confusing part about the Bible is that they're all somehow, especially in the New Testament and the letters, they're all connected one way or another. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, when he's addressing these false gods and worship of, of pagan gods, especially Artemis, he's actually, uh, there's also a retelling of what happened. He's, Ephesians is actually a retelling of what happened in an earlier book called Acts. And so there's a story in Acts chapter 19 that is connected with Ephesians, all of Ephesians, especially chapter 4. And let me just read to you what was happening that gives Ephesians 4 a little bit more background. In Acts 19, verse uh, 23, just listen to this. It says this. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. So about Christianity, there was a disturbance. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis, remember Ephesians chapter 4, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along the workers in related, uh, in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we, have that we receive a good income from this business. And you know, we, you, and you see and hear how this fellow, uh, Paul, has convinced and led astray large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole providence of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There's a danger, not only in our trade, uh, we will lose its good name, but also at that temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And so what's happening is uh, Paul is saying to the church of Ephesians, don't live in the way of the Gentiles when we worship Artemis. Artemis is not a real God. You need to follow the ways of Jesus. And so what happened, what was happening was people, was, people were actually believing in Paul and saying, okay, I will no longer worship Artemis. And part of the Ten Commandments and part of the ways of Jesus is to not have any idols. And so they would no longer buy literally icons of, God, uh, of Artemis. And so in Acts chapter 19, they're speaking of that, where there's a story of there's, this, there's actually riots because of Paul. And what this craftsman, Demetrius, is saying is, man, hey, friends, fellow Icon makers, these were the, the woodsmiths, these were the iron, you know, the people that made these shrines and, um, of silver and, and icons of Artemis. He's saying, hey, co-workers, do you see what's happening? There's this guy named Paul, and he's telling people not to worship Artemis. And, and he's saying, do you, know, do you see what that's doing here? It's ruining our business. 
Nobody uh, are buying our icons, and it's taking away our income. We must address this, and this is a huge reason why Paul got in trouble. This is a huge reason why Paul wasn't very liked because at the end of the day. He was hurting people's business, their actual income, because no longer were people buying these icons of Artemis and other Greek and Roman gods. And Paul's saying, once you look in the mirror and figure out who you want to be, and, and hopefully that is like Jesus, you will put on the clothing of Jesus, and because of that, you will have confidence to walk and speak and live and treat people the way of Jesus no matter what. And what Paul is saying, even if that means disrupting the status quo, even if that means hurting people's feelings to a certain degree, even if that means speaking in truth, although he says speak in truth in love, he says, yes, there's people angry. Yes, if I tell people to follow Jesus, it's going to hurt people's business. Uh, shoot, it may even ruin some lives, at least financially speaking. But at least I know that the truth was spoken and that people are converting into the ways of Jesus and living in the ways of Jesus rather than these false ways. Paul has to confront himself with that question, saying, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to disrupt this whole community and their livelihood? And, and Paul said, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yes, it is worth it. Yes, it's going to be scary. Yes, it's going to be fearful. Yes, people are not going to like you. Yes, people are going to disagree with you. Yes, you're going to have debates over Facebook, over all these issues. But the answer is it is worth it because now you are living in the ways of Jesus and, and helping others to live in that same way. But I love even in the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about this idea of, of being meek. He calls his followers to be meek. And when I think about this word meekness, uh, by definition, I'm thinking, oh, someone that's weak, someone that's a pushover, someone that doesn't speak up for themselves, someone that's a doormat. And the opposite is actually true. The definition of meek, especially in the first century, in the original Greek, uh, was describing a, a war horse, a military horse. See, what's, what's fascinating about this military horse, this trained war horse, is that they're so well-trained to be calm, to be collected, to, to follow the script, to follow the plan, uh, that when it's game time, when they're in the middle of battle, that instead of freaking out or going to anxious mode or, 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 or fight or flight mode or forgetting everything that they've trained, which happens a lot, being, being meek, that describes his horses, that you know what, even in the face of battle, I will stay true to my training and to who I am. And what Jesus and what Paul is saying, because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so what he's saying is, yes, speak the truth. Yes, it will cost you. The truth always costs something. I want us to always remember that. The truth will always cost something, but it will never be as expensive as a lie. Never be as expensive as a lie. See, we must speak truth. We must speak truth. But we even say speak truth, but speak truth in love. 
working together to promote the growth in building itself in love. That's what makes us look like Jesus. That's what brings in a reconciliation. That's what brings in healing. There's a quick story. My first year at WSU, I remember I was on, on the hill in front of taught this huge auditorium where there's a lot of people, a lot of students walking back and forth from classes. And I remember this guy, he had this sign, this banner that said, God hates a bunch of people. Uh, and he would have this discourse, you know, with students, and students would get really fired up. And I remember this girl, she comes up and says, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, and, and I've been going to church all my life, and, and that's not the way of Jesus. That is not the way that Jesus would treat people and talk to people. And you know, I'm kind of sitting in the background, I'm thinking, yeah. Like, stand up, because that's not, that doesn't represent all of Christianity, which people might think. And as we were going back and forth, I saw her, like, bring up saliva and spit on the guy. And, and I thought, hey, man, I, I'm on your side. I, I agree with you. But right when you did that, you have just completely discredited yourself. You have completely, ironically, spoke the words in the name of Jesus without being like Jesus. And that's a problem. Because when people see that and say, oh, well, shoot, I know that Christians don't look like this, having signs and having hatred, hateful words, but Christians look like this? You, you spit on people? You become violent? You become agitated? I mean, it sends, a, it sends kind of a, a mixed message. And what Paul is saying, be meek, even in the times of trouble, even in the times of this political climate, even in times of, of, uh, of hatred, even in your own family, even when there's, you know, marriage or relationship or friendship problems, even as you walk into that, there's a level of meekness saying, you have been clothed in righteousness and holiness, live like it. But again, that doesn't mean be a doormat, it doesn't mean just be a pushover, you have to speak truth but do it in love, which requires much more strength. And again, this is, this is important for us today, just as much as any other day, or even more so when there's, we have a, a heated political climate with endless use of social media. We have to denounce what is unjust. Yes, Chelsea talked about separating families. Yes, there's progress, there's, there's movements, which, which I'm so thankful for, but I was so thankful for a community, especially of believers, and say, saying, that is not the way of Jesus. We see racism. We see broken systems. We see going down the street of homelessness. We see discrimination based on people's culture, Sexual decisions, relational decisions, whatever it is, we have arguments of pro-life and pro-choice and, and all these things. And at the end of the day, my question is, are you being like Jesus even in the midst of all this chaos and dialogue and conversations? Are you speaking truth? Are you being loving? Because those aren't mutually exclusive. Ephesians chapter 4 says, be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. So there's a time of reflection as I, as I invite the worship team 
back up. May this be a time that we, that we reflect on our own lives, especially those that claim to be followers of Jesus. Have you, have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately? Have you? Sure, there's times where I don't, and I need to. I need to confront the ways where I've put on my old cap, my old clothing. And make sure that every day I'm, I'm walking with confidence because I've clothed myself in righteousness and holiness, and not of my own, but of God's. That is the decision that I have made. Now this, hear me, I'm not, I'm not teaching a, a level of legalism, like in order to be a good Christian, you have to check off these boxes and this and that. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the decision that we made for, this, for Jesus to live in our hearts, for us to walk with Jesus all the days of our lives, should actually compel us to live differently. There should be a distinction of an old life with our life today. That's what it means to be a new creation. That's what it means to even need a savior. Some of us, we are in a hopeless situation where we just are content with just wearing the same clothes. But it doesn't have to be that way. Are you wearing the, are you finding hopelessness in the same clothes in your relationships, in your finances, in your marriage, relationship with children? It doesn't have to be this way. Are you finding hopelessness in, in what's happening in our communities, in our own families because of what's happening in our politics? doesn't have to be this way. Clothe yourselves in righteousness. Get rid of the old ways of being combative, argumentative, hateful, violent. The Bible, Paul literally says, don't do, and it has an actual kind of a list. Don't be greedy. Don't be idolatrous. Use words that will build people up. So look in front of the mirror today. Ask yourself tough questions. And maybe the mirror, again, it's not a physical mirror, but it's people around you. Hey, have I, this is very practical. Hey, have I treated you the way that Jesus would treat you? That's a hard question. And if you are somebody's mirror, will you tell the truth? In love? And maybe it sounds something like, you know what, you haven't. Or maybe I statements. I mean, I'm not very good at these things. But the, the, the point is to be truthful. You know, if I, you know, am my, if my tie's crooked or if my shirt is undone or, or whatever happens, I hope someone says, hey, have you looked in the mirror lately? Did you, did you look in the mirror before you left the house? Because you your tie, your shirt. I hope someone does that with me. May you be that for somebody. 
so they can put on the clothing of righteousness, so that they can walk out in confidence, in meekness, to face the world and to say, this is the true Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. That you have taught us to live and to be and to resemble you. And sometimes we forget and we stray away from that. Bring us back to our our new created selves in you. And may the world around us see that. Not just the whole world, but even the people that we live with. See, even if it's starting today, this reset button. Even if it's today that says, I am going to live and look like Jesus. Help us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen.